0: This is reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. A typical day in a hospital's emergency department is anything but boring. From burns to cuts and fever to heart attacks, ER physicians see it all. The most difficult part of their job might be prioritizing who to see first and who can wait. But in early 2020, the stakes were raised. Dr. Thomas Fisher captures those moments in his new book, The Emergency A Year of Healing and Heartbreak in a Chicago ER. It follows the doctor trying to steer his patients and colleagues through a crushing pandemic and violent summer. And as he writes, Dr. Fisher sees firsthand how the U.S. healthcare system can reflect the worst of society, treating the poor as expendable in order to provide top notch care to a few. Dr. Fisher joins us now with more insight on our healthcare system and its inequities. Welcome to Reset.
1: Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, you bring us through your shift as you, you work with limited time, limited resources, and uh, you're trying to treat patients at the University of Chicago Medical Center. The, the first thing that struck me when I read this book was uh, the level of detail. You remember the look, the clothing, the tattoos, of various patients, you know, how much pain they were in, what they said to you the moment they stopped breathing. And it was clear that you were personally haunted by the trauma that you were seeing every day. So can you just describe that feeling for us, Dr. Fisher?
1: Yeah, um, thanks for reading so closely. Um, I wrote the book in large part to help illuminate how health disorders more often affect Black folks than white folks and more often affect the poor than the rich and then COVID brought those issues into sharp relief where, you know, the poor and people of color in Chicago fell in droves falling ill. And then when they got sick too often, they faced a healthcare system that added insult to injury. I wrote the book in large also because when you're in those moments, taking care of people, um, they share with you some of their most intimate secrets and mm-hmm. tell you things that they haven't disclosed to others. And then in those moments, not only do they literally disrobe, figuratively disrobe, they literally disrobe and trust you enough to touch, you, touch them where it hurts and, um, and refer them to the sorts of resources that they can't possibly understand nor afford. Um, and it's in honoring that relationship, in honoring that intimacy and the importance of you know, the privilege of taking care of people that I wrote this book, and in hopes that by understanding how important those relationships are and how much in common we share when we're ill, we will realize that we actually have a responsibility towards one another. And nowhere was that more evident than during 2020 when COVID fell upon all of us.
0: Yeah. You said, we, we've never seen anything like this.
1: We haven't. And I, I, wish, I wish it were behind us. But um, people are still falling sick across the city. We're fortunate to be in a trough between waves. But the, these are not uncommon. I mean, in fact, I started writing this book before covid um, because after 20 years of taking care of people on their worst days, it became clear to me that um, we aren't upholding our obligation to to our shared humanity when it comes to our health or our health care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I began yeah, journaling and- well before this.
0: Yeah, in one chapter, to your, to your point, you, you write about one of your shifts in November 2019, right? So obviously before... The pandemic. Talk about how a typical day in the ER looked back then compared with now. Like what's the same and what's changed?
1: Um, there are a couple of things. So we've seen things. So in 2019, before all this began, we were already overcrowded and busy. Like hospitals and emergency departments across the country, um, we worked with limited time and resources in order to care for a community that had overwhelming health care needs um, and few outlets to receive that care. Um, we were often facing waiting rooms that were 40 people um, deep, many of whom had been waiting five hours or longer. Um, and we were facing boarding times, which is when people who are so sick that they can't go home and require admission. Have no beds to go to in the inpatient hospital setting, and instead wait in the emergency department for hours and sometimes days. What that does is, once that bed is being held by an admitted patient, we have nowhere to put people in the waiting room. That is a long-standing challenge across our healthcare system that we face regularly, leading to many of these really heavy weights and long time um, and and. Um, And burdened emergency departments. COVID in some ways transformed those settings. So there were periods where people stopped coming who didn't have COVID out of fear of catching the illness. Everybody was hunkered down and that allowed for us to really streamline the entire hospital system in order to care for those who needed care the most. And we saw a functioning um, setting in ways that I'd really never seen before in my in my time. And and now we're going back to somewhere between where we are our best and worst times. And we're seeing many of the um, many of the same patterns that existed in twenty nine are beginning to return.
0: Yeah, There was a lot of death and um, so much uncertainty when the covid pandemic did start. And, and you yourself, you began making preparations. You wrote your will. You, you made sure your affairs were in order. What was that like?
1: Um, it was terrifying. I mean, I think that everybody was a little bit knocked off of their uh, normal patterns because of COVID. We, we, if you remember back in March of 2019, first the NBA stopped in the middle of a game, and then all games ended, and then every season for sports closed. Next thing you know, businesses are shut down. My colleagues and I are used to working in tense settings when there's time pressure and lives on the line. I mean, we work in these well-coordinated teams of nurses and pharmacists and technologists and our housekeeping and security all trying to orchestrate the service of people who need care. And, the, you know, we're accustomed to sort of the pressure, but we're also accustomed to knowing that no matter what happens, at the end of the day, we go home. And COVID changed that equation, where all of a sudden we were actually at risk. And that forced everything to change. I mean, everything from preparing differently, how you were going going to and from work, to making sure our affairs and orders. I had colleagues who didn't go home for six weeks out of fear of infecting their family members. It was a very challenging time.
0: And the majority of people that were dying in that first year were Black and brown people. How did the pandemic further reveal racial inequities in healthcare?
1: Yeah, one of the things that you know we saw the manifestation of the, the sort of old black truism when America catches a cold, black folks get pneumonia. Mm-hmm. People who were able, so the wealthy and um, folks who were able to stay home during those time periods um, were largely safe. They transitioned in a very difficult fashion I mean, folks were depressed and burdened but safe from the virus when they worked from home when they were in front of a screen and able to um, have their food delivered and um and able to continue to exercise in in their own home and in settings like that but other folks were deemed essential workers who were stocking shelves and making deliveries and driving ubers those folks continued to be exposed and those were disproportionately black and brown folks in Chicago. By the time um, by the time April fell, the majority of the folks who were falling ill were in who were, were either essential workers who were taking care of people and either by mm-hmm. delivering their food or delivering their packages or people who lived in those multi-generational homes so that once the virus was acquired, they brought it home to their elders and children who were also falling ill. And that's who filled our emergency departments and fell ill. And those statistics became clear by midsummer.
0: You know, time, time is is critical in an emergency department. And oftentimes you don't have enough of it, right? You've got about three minutes, from what I understand, to, to spend with the patients who come into the hospital ward where you work before you either pass them along to some other area or you send them home. So, you're you're making these very quick decisions. Talk to us more about the value of time as an ER doctor.
1: You know, when people are sick and afraid and worried, the thing that they want most is to feel safe, honored, and trusted. We begin to undermine that as soon as folks enter the healthcare system, whether it's the emergency department or elsewhere, with with extremely long waits. Forcing them to sit uncomfortably and sick in a setting that they didn't choose. They're not home in bed. They came to find help. And then once we finally get to them, we often have the capacity to Um, quickly discern what are their critical illnesses, what we can do to intervene, and then move on. Not often do we get the chance to sit down and ask the open-ended questions that reveal the social context that framed their illness to begin with. Are they safe at home? Are they being bullied? Um, I write about a situation in the book with a young woman who um, was assaulted, in her school. And what I did in the brief moment that I had with her was intervene on her injuries, you know, discern whether or not she had any fractures or concussions, make sure that physically she was okay. But I didn't take the moment to understand, well, what's this assault at the end of an of a extended period of being bullied? Does she have a safe place to go? Will this affect her education? What's going What are the dynamics? At play, at home, and at work, all of the things that are as much a part of her injury as the physical component. Yeah. Those are the sorts of things that we're robbed from when we don't have the time to take care of folks.
0: Hmm. Now, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. My guest is Dr. Thomas Fisher, an ER doctor on Chicago's South Side. If you're just tuning in, we're discussing his new book, The Emergency. It details the ups and downs of his work during a pandemic year, and the inequities of American healthcare. Dr. Fisher, you're a black doctor. You grew up on the south side of Chicago. This is truly your community that you're working to heal every single day. Does that make the job more difficult?
1: I actually think it makes it more easy. Um, How so? I chose to take care of people as a profession long ago because it felt like very meaningful work. And the opportunity to serve, you know, colleagues and classmates from school, old teachers, the parents of friends um, ensures that I never lose sight of the humanity of those on the other side of the physician-patient relationship, ensures that I'm willing to tell the truth and work hard. Um, and makes it worth all of the time and effort that's required. I mean, at the end of the day, I wrote this book in order to bring some of these really complicated challenges to my patients, to describe to them why it is that they're sick, why it is that they see people around them fall ill with chronic disease years before their time, why they're waiting five hours, the, the reason those stories are important is because I work in a context in which, you know, my own family seeks care. People who are, friends who are like family seek care, and so it removes it from being a an academic exercise or a biological um, transaction in a clinical setting. Mm-hmm. One that reminds me, you know, I'm I'm a part of this as much as they are. I am in many ways at home when I'm taking care of folks, and so you know this is yeah. a meaningful endeavor one that i that led to this book
0: you write the book beautifully dr fisher you, you it's you're vulnerable it's raw you're it's deeply empathetic to the patients to the folks you work with even throughout the book you you write these personal letters to your patients what do you want them to know
1: um so you know, there there are a few things. I, I think that, first of all, they need to understand that the emergency is that health care in the United States is failing Black folks, and the result is human suffering. And I see it every day, um, that I see it in the 40 people waiting five hours at a time. I see it in the difficulty in getting definitive care after an emergency issue. I see it in people who have had their worst days after a, have had their worst day or come to me after a series of worst days um, i ultimately felt an obligation to tell their stories and to bring them closer to understanding what these challenges are and ultimately help people understand everywhere that they're in these same situations ultimately we will all fall ill and when we do we 're going to need care that we can 't afford being delivered by people we don 't know, and in those moments when we are stripped of our of all of the armor that we wear to move through society, it becomes clear that we 're all similarly human, and delivering care to those folks in those moments when they need it the most requires more than what we're currently giving to one another. It requires that we elevate a level of humanity and morality in our healthcare system that we really don't see elsewhere. Um, And I write this book to help my patients understand that this is bigger than their experience with their provider. It's bigger than the hospital they're in. But this is as big as the United States of America, which means that the challenges are going to be long-term and multi-generational, but ones that we have to confront, we can't look away from.
0: Yeah. Well, as we continue to work our way through COVID-19, as you mentioned earlier, it's not over. So what structural changes do you think need to happen to to cultivate a a better response? Should we be confronted with yet another pandemic? What needs to change structurally?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and we will, right? Pandemics come with some regularity and always have. You know, I think that there's some tactical things that we can do on a day-to-day basis. You know, we can look at systems for change rather than look for heroes and villains to direct our support or ire and recognize that these are structures that we've been putting in place for many decades. And therefore, we can put different systems in place that ensure that we are well taken care of. We can center humanity in all of our decisions um, so that we are no longer creating winners and losers such, uh, in a setting where the winners would, um, would compile disproportionate resources and the losers would pay with their lives. We can center humanity in those settings and the recognition that we're all in this together. We can elevate moral leaders, ones that are in those moments when the chips are down, are willing to say, no, this is important, the people matter more. And make those decisions. But I think at the end of the day, what I'm arguing is that this is something bigger than tactics, right? That this is ultimately about how we view one another and what we owe each other. This is a story of love. And once we recognize that and embrace that, that there's nothing more important than our health and there's nothing more important than the way we Take care of one another in and outside of the healthcare setting, then some of these tactical solutions fall away because there are many ways to solve this. But first, we need the commitment to one another in order to get to those next levels of decisions.
0: That's Dr. Thomas Fisher, an emergency medicine physician at the University of Chicago Medical Center. His book, The Emergency A Year of Healing and Heartbreak in a Chicago ER, is available now. Dr. Fisher, thanks so much.
1: Thanks so much for having me on.